All right, go ahead, take your Bibles and turn to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. I know here at Red Cross we've gotten used over the past few years of going verse by verse through books of the Bible. And every once in a while we'll take a break and do a series that is that seems more topical. Um, so I figured... It's about time we go through the what's known as the five solas. Now, just by a raise of hands, how many in here know or have heard of the five solas? And by a raise of hands, how many have not? Oh, come on, don't be shy. How many have not? Fantastic. Anybody? Any, was anybody kind of concerned about t- t- today besides me? Okay. Five solas. All right, this is what the five solas are. So... A little bit of history, and this is the intro to my sermon. On October 31st, 1517, all right, 503 years ago this coming Saturday, Martin Luther, the German monk, the Protestant reformer, nailed what is known as the 95 Theses on the door of Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany, okay? Now, this is in response to the Roman Catholic Church. What the Roman Catholic Church was doing was they were selling indulgences. Now, what these are, indulgences are are ways for you to purchase time off of purgatory for you or even for your family members who have already passed on. Now, Roman Catholic Church was doing this because they were building up this huge kingdom. They were using the money to build new churches. They were using the money to build new buildings. They were using the money for their own selfish gain. Martin Luther started, as he was reading his Bible, as a good believer in Christian should, started realizing that this is not what the Bible tells us that we are not to purchase time off of purgatory. Now, understand too, Luther eventually came to the realization that purgatory is not biblical. We don't, we don't believe in a purgatory. We believe that once, come, once comes death, then comes judgment. We, we are then found out if we're written in the book of life. And we're given heaven or we're given hell. Now, the five solas are, are this. This is what the five solas are. These, the, these are five pillars of the Protestant Reformation. We are Protestant. This is how we, as a Protestant denomination, came out of that. These five pillars are what we stand on. We are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the Word of God alone, to the glory of God alone. Five pillars. And we're going to break those pillars down. Because I figured, hey, October 31st is coming up. It's the anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. October 31st is not just Halloween. It's known as Reformation Day. And it is a day that we as Baptists should celebrate and be excited about. Because it is a time in 1517 when we see a revival a reformation come about to where we are, are, we are finally getting back to what the Word of God says. 
And there was so much that Martin Luther and other reformers were dealing with and fighting for. These are men who even gave their lives. We think of men like William Tyndale, who was not only hung, but was also burned for writing the Bible into English. These are, these are men who, who, who we stand on their shoulders, giants of the faith. We stand on their shoulders because we now have doctrine and theology that we can understand and agree with based on the Word of God. And so we're going to break it down over the next few weeks. Today we're doing by grace alone. We as believers are justified. We are saved by God's grace alone. Not only, but alone. Sola gratia. That's the sola, the first sola we're going to talk about today. One of the, one of the theses that Luther nails to the, to the door of Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany, it says this. It's uh, number 62. The true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory and grace of God. The holy gospel of the glory and grace of God. Understand, according to the Roman Catholic Church, the only way you can be saved is by your obedience, is by your uh, uh, your penance, is by your indulgences, it's, it, 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 it's by working off your salvation. But we as Protestants, and, and one of the reasons why we're called Protestant is we protested. We protested that. Because according to the word of God, which we stand on, we are saved by God's grace alone. These are where we get the solace from. This is, this is church history. This is beautiful. And so here is the main idea for today's message before I read this, the scripture. The main idea I want to get across to you is this, that we are saved by grace alone because we cannot save ourselves. We are saved by grace alone because we cannot save ourselves. All right, so we're in Titus 3. If you're there, say word. If you're not there, say hold up. Very good. So here at Red Cross, we like to stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. So if you'll stand with me, Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 3, we're going to go through to verse 8. This is what Paul says to Titus. For we ourselves were once foolish disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy. 
And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for who you are. I pray that you'll bless this time, bless your word. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I've got five points. So even though we're historically looking at Baptist, I'm not being Baptist this morning. I got five points for today's message as to how we can see that we are saved by grace alone because we cannot save ourselves. Now this, understand church, this is something that has been argued over the centuries but has been deemed even heretical, not this point, but this argument. When we look at church history, we look at a guy known as Pelagius. Everybody say Pelagius. And then you got another guy known as Augustine. Everybody say Augustine. Look, you guys are church historians. Check it out. Pelagius made this argument. This is first, second century. Pelagius made this argument that we are all not inherently sinful. We are, we are, we can do good for God apart from saving grace. But then Augustine, Augustine, if you can read Augustine, read Augustine, Augustine steps in and says, hold up. That's not true. We are inherently sinful. We are born sinful. And so Pelagius's argument was deemed heretical in church history that we, we are not good apart from Jesus Christ. We can't be good apart from Jesus Christ. There's nothing good in us apart from Jesus Christ. And we see that here in verse three. We see our depravity. We see our sinfulness, our fallenness. Paul says, for we ourselves were once foolish. We were disobedient. We were led astray. We were led astray by who? Satan, who's the leader of, you know, who, who rules this world. He, he, he leads us and distracts us. We were led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. We are all inherently sinful. We are born sinful. And if you don't agree with me, let me allow you to babysit my three-year-old we we are born sinful Ephesians 2 is one of my favorite chapters out of the entire Bible apart from Ephesians 1 but Ephesians 2 Paul tells us that we are all these things we are evil Ephesians 2 4 but God being rich in mercy. And here Paul says it again in verse 4 of Titus 3. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. So number one, we see God's grace in one, His compassion. We see His grace in His compassion. We are saved by grace alone because He is compassionate. When Jesus is called to Lazarus' graveside, and he looks at the grave and he looks at the people surrounding it. He weeps. He weeps. He sees people who, who are 
not trusting in who he is. We see another scene where Christ looks at a city and he has compassion on them because they are like sheep without a shepherd. We see that God is a compassionate God. Why? Because in verse 3, we are disobedient. We are depraved and we are deserving of God's judgment. Church, apart from Christ, you are deserving of God's judgment. Because of your sin, you deserve hell. We don't go to hell because of our unbelief. We go to hell because of our sin. But thank God for His compassion. Before Christ, you guys can probably share your testimony, but before Christ, we were some pretty messed up people living however we wanted to. And I know some people who don't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, and they're good people. Some of the nicest people. When, when Jaden was in the hospital back in February, I had text messages from friends of mine who are not saved telling me that they're thinking about us asking us if there's anything that they can do for us. And man, I was like, man, sometimes lost people are about as, are are more kind than Christian people. There are good people who don't know Christ, but they are not good apart from Christ. Their good works do not save them. They are depraved. They are lost. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. One commentary used it as like a pros and cons list. You ever done that, made a pros and cons list about something? When, when I was a freshman in a high school, see at West Stanley, see we didn't have West Stanley Middle School. We had elementary school up to eighth grade, and then we go to, to the high school. And funny enough, Miss Esther was my janitor at Oakburg Elementary School. And uh, there's uh, um, Francis Whitley was my cafeteria lady at the high school. But when I got to high school in the, in the ninth grade, it's when all the schools came together. First time. So we get to meet a lot of new people. And I thought I was hot stuff, man. Had a couple girls that liked me. And I couldn't make up my mind. So what did I do? Pros and cons list. Guys, that was horrible. Before Christ, we were some messed up people, amen? (laughs) Shouldn't have done that. But imagine if God made a pros and cons list of whether or not he should save us. What if he looked at you and said, let's make a pros and cons list of whether or not I should save him. Let's look at the cons first. He's foolish. He's disobedient. Led astray. He's a slave to his passions and pleasures. He's idolatrous. He's, he, he's got, he, he, he's malicious. He's envious. He's hated and he's hateful. He's, he's evil. Let, let's look at the pros list of whether or not God should, should save you. What's in the pros? Nothing. Nothing. When God looks at us, 
He sees nothing good in us to save us. Your good works are as filthy rags. It doesn't matter how much you read your Bible. It doesn't matter how much you give to Salvation Army. It doesn't matter how much you love your neighbors. It doesn't matter how little you've cussed or lied or how little you've drank or smoked. It doesn't matter. There's nothing good in you that could save you. It is only by God's grace alone that we can be saved. He looks at us and he has compassion on us. Verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. The goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. What appeared? Better question, who? Verse 4 points to that first Christmas when Christ walked the earth, when He came and was born in that stable, when He, when he was born into poverty, a king that gave up His kingdom for, for rags so that He may be killed for our sake. The goodness and loving kindness of God appeared. Everything good and kind about God is wrapped up in the Savior. I think it was Thomas Watson. He said, Christ is love covered over in flesh. Boy. His compassion. God was compassionate enough to send his son for us. That was an act of grace. He did not have to do that. So if God has compassion on people like us, church, if God has compassion on sinners like us, how much more should we have compassion on others? How much more should we have compassion on those who look differently than we do? How much more should we have compassion on those who sin differently than we do? How much more should we have compassion on those who believe differently than we do? We, church, since we have been saved by grace, if you are in here and you've truly been saved by grace alone, we are called to be a people of grace. Because you were not worth dying for. Can I say that? You were not worth dying for. When we look at the cross, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. So number one, his compassion. We see God's grace, number one, in his compassion. Number two, we see God's grace, and Leto said it earlier. Number two, we see God's grace in his gifts. In his gifts. Look at verse five. Let's go back to verse four because it leads into verse five really well. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, verse five, he saved us. If you like circling in your Bibles, circle those three words. He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. We see the gift of salvation in verse 5. That is a gift 
to us, the gift of regeneration, or it can be also translated as rebirth. I like that word, rebirth, because those of us who have been dead in our sin, all of us who are dead in our sin, that have come to know Christ, we were once dead and have been reborn. It's not that we've been updated or that we are refurbished. We are reborn. We are a new creation. He saved us. The greatest gift that God could give us is salvation through himself. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, because we have none. We have no works done by us in righteousness. Nothing. You can stand before God when you die, and you can list off everything you've done, and none of it is good enough to save you. None of it. Paul gives us a list in Philippians 3, verses 4 through 6, of of all of his good works. Circumcised on the eighth day, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I mean, Paul had the law memorized. Paul was the perfect Jew, except he was sinful. Inherently sinful. This is Paul talking about himself in verse 3. For we ourselves, Paul's bringing himself into this. We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves of various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hated one another. And I'm going to keep repeating that because you need to understand that you are born inherently sinful and you need God's grace. But Paul gives us this list of his good works, his obedience to the law. But he knows, he knows that even God doesn't accept those good works as salvific. Again, Isaiah tells us that our good works are as filthy rags. They're disgusting. They're offensive to God. To think that your Bible reading, to think that your good nature, to think that your giving, your loving, whatever you think, to think that that is what would save you is offensive to God. Because you're telling God that you don't need His Son. The perfect gift. Scripture shows us that good people can do bad things. And it shows us that bad people can do good things, but in order to be saved, we all need God's mercy. And that's how we're saved. Ephesians 2, 4, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. 1 Peter 1, 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It is only by grace alone that we can be saved. If we, church, if we have received this gift of rebirth and renewal, this gift of being reborn 
from a dead person to a live person. This gift of, of renewal, of, of being a new creation. Romans 12.1 tells us to not be conformed to this world. I'm sorry, Romans 12.2. To not be conformed to this world, but to be renewed, transformed by the renewal of your mind. Renewal, the, the change, the transformation, it's only done by the Spirit. If we have received this gift, then we too must desire to let others know about it. Being a pastor, you walk with people to the gates of heaven. Being a pastor, you, you are in the room when people pass away. Being a pastor, you're talking with people who have been given a diagnosis of not much time. Being a pastor, you get to hear those strong believers say those words that they're ready to go home. There is no greater cure for any illness in this world than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because through the gospel, we will be healed. Through the gospel, we will be transformed. Through the gospel, when we die, we're healed. The gospel is the greatest gift that we can ever give somebody. And Christ is the greatest gift that God has ever given us. This is why the prosperity gospel is so offensive. This is why I grit my teeth every time I hear somebody preaching the prosperity gospel. And if you don't know, there's churches even in our county that are preaching that mess, that trash. Why is the prosperity gospel so bad? Because it's like Jesus isn't enough for you. You only follow Christ so that you can be blessed. You only follow Christ so that you can have good health or that so you can have riches. Let me tell you, in Christ is where the greatest riches are. In Christ is where our great health is. This world, this body is going to fall apart, and, and it already is starting to. But this body is going to fall apart. But one day, one day in Christ, I will be made new. We need to let the world know. And this is why, this is why doctrine like the five solas is important. This is why by being saved by grace alone is important. We need to know this. There's too many people that are working themselves to heaven. That's not how we do it. We let people know that the work is accomplished. And that's point number three. We see God's grace in his work. Number one, his compassion. Number two, his, get, his gift. Number three, his work. Look at verse six. Whom he, God, the Father, poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. He poured out the regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Because of the work of Christ on the cross, we can be saved by grace alone. Christ's work on the cross is the greatest picture of God's grace. Why is that? There's this thing that I keep hearing in the American church. 
that the cross shows us that you are worth dying for, that the cross shows us how much you're worth. Let me tell you, that's not what the cross shows us. The cross shows us how much Christ is worth. The cross shows us the price of the penalty for us. And the cross shows us, because it is the greatest picture of grace that we can see, the cross shows us that you're not worth saving. Because if you were worth saving, this wouldn't be grace. When I see something worth something, I invest in it. It's not me being gracious towards it. It's me thinking, I could use that. But God looks at us and he sees us depraved and lost. And he sees that we are deserving of his judgment. But Christ... Christ is worth so much. When we see the cross, we see the cost of the penalty. It was Christ's blood. That's how much it cost for us to be saved. The wrath of God to be poured out on his son. The work of Christ on the cross is the greatest picture of God's grace. It's, I love the word richly. If you like to circle, circle that. Whom he poured out on us richly. It's like when you, when you take a cup of water and you pour it out, what's going to end up happening? Eventually it's going to empty. But richly means never ending. He pours it out on us abundantly. He pours it out on us overflowingly. It's like a waterfall. Have you ever stood under a waterfall and felt the water just coming and it never stops? This is God's grace towards you. For those through faith alone, they receive God's grace abundantly, overflowingly, richly. I love that. I stole that from a commentary. Romans eleven six. but if it, salvation, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. That's Paul. More importantly, that's God. Romans eleven six. let me say it again. If, if, if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. Check this out, church. You're saved by works, but not your works. You're saved by Christ's work on the cross. And if everything has been accomplished on the cross for our salvation by Jesus, check this out. If everything has been accomplished, tetelestai, it is finished. When Jesus screamed that out, if everything has been finished on the cross for our salvation, then we can rest in grace alone. Church, rest in knowing that God cannot love you any more or any less than how he loves you at this moment. Rest in knowing that as a believer, any ounce of wrath that you would have received was poured out on the Son. Church, as a believer, rest in knowing that every ounce of love God has for you was embodied in the Son who walked to, our, to His cross, our just punishment. 
and took it for us. John 13, 1, and he loved them till the end. That is grace. Church, that is grace. Grace is being given something we do not deserve. We do not deserve Christ and what he has done. And Paul is telling Titus here that we are saved by grace alone because of the work of Jesus on the cross. I want you to check this out. We see the Trinitarian work of salvation in Titus 3. We see the Trinitarian work. In verse 4, we see the compassion of God the Father. In verse 5, we see the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 6, we see the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. The Trinitarian work of God in our salvation. The Father who initiates the saving work as the Spirit opens our blind eyes to see the beauty of the gospel and transforms us. And Christ who does the atoning work on the cross. That is the transforming work of the Trinitarian God that we believe in. And it's there. Man, I can't wait till I preach Scripture alone because it's when we see these treasures in Scripture that just, it's amazing. It's beautiful. So we see God's grace in His compassion. I got to pick it up. We see God's grace in His gift. We see God's grace in His work. Number four, we see God's grace in His promise. Verse seven. So that being justified by his grace, there it is, grace alone, justified by his grace. So that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We who have been justified by grace, justified meaning if you're in a court system, it's like a trial and you are on trial and God's looking at that pro and con list. Look at all you've done. Foolishness, disobedience. Look at you. But then through Christ's work on the cross as our mediator, God looks at us because Christ has sprinkled his blood on us. God looks at us and he says, justified, innocent, righteous, because Christ has paid the penalty. Jesus, check this out, Jesus receives what we deserve so that we can receive what he deserves. Jesus received our sin and God's wrath for our sin so that we can receive his sonship. C.S. Lewis once said, the son of God became man so that men may become sons of God. I said it right that time. We receive what Christ deserves. Adoption. Adoption. Lost depraved, hateful, and hated. And God looks at you and says, mine. My wife and I have been praying for adoption, and it's getting frustrating. So many children in foster care system who need a home, who need loving parents, God looks at us. We are homeless, covered in rags because of our sin, covered in filth because of our sin. 
dead because of our sin. And he looks at you in his grace alone and says, Mine. Mine. Del Ralph Davis, if you ever buy, if you ever get a commentary of Del Ralph Davis, you should give it to me. But he says this, it is not only by grace alone that we become God's people, but by grace alone we remain his people. This rich abundance of grace that God pours out on us every single day is that grace that holds us. Because every time I wake up, I deserve his wrath. Every time I wake up, I deserve his judgment. Every time I wake up, I deserve for him to let me go. But in his infinite loving kindness and goodness and grace, he never lets us go, church. We see his promise, heirs of eternal life. Everything that is Christ's is ours because of the grace of God. Lastly, number five in verse eight, we see the grace of God in his mission. In his mission, verse eight. The saying is trustworthy and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Church, Paul is... Speaking this to Titus, Titus is, is, is an elder of Cretans. <laughs> we get that insult. We call people Cretans because of, of, of where Titus is. He's in Crete, and these people are evil. But he's telling Titus, the people that have been called by God, the people that have been saved by grace alone, are saved for good works, to live as grace-filled people. Grace alone means we aren't saved by our good works. It means we're saved for good works. Ephesians 2 does the same thing. Ephesians 2 shows us that, but God being rich in mercy, he saves us, that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, so that no man may boast we were saved for good works. Church, we are saved so that we may live grace-filled gospel lives so that we may bless the world through Christ. We see that covenant with Abraham that, 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 that Abraham will be a blessing among nations. And the reason why is, is, is through Abraham, the promised seed of Christ comes through. And so Christ is that blessing among nations. But see this, the covenant that we are now in with Christ being saved, Christ living through us allows us to be that blessing in the world, to live the gospel grace-filled lives, to preach the gospel the gospel of grace alone to people. Because guys, I'm going to tell you, if you want to work yourselves to heaven, you're going to be tired and you're going to die tired and then you're going to live for eternity in hell. Tired. But because of God's grace alone, we may be saved. The work is accomplished and it is by God's grace that we get to take part in this mission. We are on God's side. We are 
in his wheel. We are living for his mission to be a blessing within this world. So church, to close this out, we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to the scriptures alone, to the glory of God alone. Those are the five solas. And that's what we as Protestants, that's the pillars we stand on. That's what brought us into this Protestant Reformation. And church, we need another Reformation today. We need another Reformation today. We are saved by grace alone because we cannot save ourselves. May we be a people of grace who reflect God's compassion. May we be a people of grace that reflect God's promise, that reflect God's work, that reflect God's mission. May we be a people of grace that live out the gospel that he's called us to. If you are here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, it's only by grace alone. Your works are as filthy rags. They can't save you. But by trusting in the finished work of Christ, that's where salvation lies. May you come and talk to me. I pray that you know him today. Let's pray. Father God, you are so good, so gracious. God, we are thankful for your grace alone. I pray, Lord, that we are a people of grace, a people that express your compassion, that are a people who reflect your work, a people who reflect your promise, your mission, your gift. God, I pray that we are a people who are living out your grace within this world so that people may see your grace. God, we are thankful for what you did in 1517 by sparking that reformation with Martin Luther. God, we are thankful that now, today, 503 years later, we are leaning into this from what your word tells us. Lord, I pray that we, I pray that we are a people of your word. We ask this in your son's precious name we pray. Amen.